Uh, Pastor Mark, I heard, did an amazing word last week. Um, and during staff meeting this week, he said, yeah, I told the church, you know, if I was saying any heresy, Pastor Jake, that you would have to correct me. And he looks at him and he goes, well, I'm not speaking this week. Bethany is. And then they both look like we're doomed. <laughs> but I was thinking, man, if, if Pastor Mark is speaking heresy, then we're all doomed, right? I, I, I can't imagine that he would say anything that was heretical. But honestly, I couldn't, couldn't probably fix it. So that's good. Uh, but it was, it was an awesome week, and we finished out that series on worship. We're actually starting a new series today called Famous Last Words, and we're really diving in to this book in the Bible called Second Timothy. So if, if you have um, a real Bible, right, not, not your phone Bible, that's a real Bible too, but if you have a paper Bible, it's right here at the very end of the Bible if you, if you don't know where to find it. But there's these books, they're called First and Second Timothy. Aren't those really um, clever names? But these books were actually written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. And so we're really diving into this book, 2 Timothy. It's only four chapters long. And so we're asking every single person, would you read it? Would you read through 2 Timothy this week? And as we do this whole series, would you read through it? It's four chapters. It's a pretty quick read. Um, I don't know how fast of a reader you are. I'm actually not a very fast reader. And so, but it didn't take me too long. I read through it a few times this week. It didn't take too long. So I have faith in you guys. You guys can do it. But this, I'm going to give you guys a, a brief little history lesson on what's going on here in 2 Timothy. So as we all know, right, Jesus He's the son of God. He lives, he lives 33 years on this earth and he has his 12 disciples. Then he dies on the cross, right? Then he is put into a tomb and after three days, miraculously resurrected. And when he's resurrected, when he comes back to life, he's actually seen by over 500 different people. So it's not that, you know, only his disciples saw him or only a few. It's not just a legend. It's literally 500 people, more people that are, than are in this room today saw Jesus alive. And maybe you, you think like, well, you know, in church they believe Jesus was real, but when I go out in the world, um, you know, Jesus is just a figment of Christian's imagination. But that's not true. If you look back into history, Jesus was a historical person. He really did live. He really did die. He really did rise from the dead. And so after Jesus ascends into heaven, his disciples begin to tell everyone, right? Jesus, Jesus is the one. And all of these people, they were Jews. They were raised Jewish, and so they had been told through their teaching to look for the Messiah. The Messiah just means Savior. So their whole lives were pointed towards looking for when God was going to send the Savior. And so Christians, what they were saying is Jesus is the Savior. Jesus, right? The Savior we've all been looking for is Jesus. And this is the beginning of the Christian church. Now, Paul, the one who wrote 2 Timothy, he was a Jew. He was basically like a, um, a Jew by, tr by trade. Like, I mean, he was like the best of the Jews, right? He was grown up. He grew up Jewish. This is like his career. He's a career Jew. And he also heard about Jesus, but he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So we kind of had a split amongst the Jewish people where the people who believed Jesus was the Savior and then the people that did not believe Jesus was the Savior. And so the people that believed Jesus was the Savior, they became the Christians. And the ones who did not were the Jews. Well, Paul, he'd been raised uh, Jewish, and so, you know, he's, you know, protecting his religion, and he's seeing all of these Christians throwing off the old ways, and for him, he's thinking this is heresy, this is lies, and so he was very um, active about making sure that they're 
the Christians would be stopped. And so he actually would get warrants for arrest and he would go and he would arrest the Christians. In Acts, it's very dramatic. It actually says that Paul would drag them out of their churches and arrest them, which I always imagined that he was dragging them by their hair, just to, just to add a little more drama, right? There's not quite enough in the Bible, so we needed a little bit more drama there. I'm joking. It's like one of the most dramatic books. Um, but so Paul, he, he has this miraculous encounter. He's against the Christians, right? This is the kind of person, you know, when people say, like, they're close to being a Christian. There's really no such thing, right? But, but this wasn't Paul. No one's thinking he's close to being a Christian. No, he's actively against the Christians. But he's on his way to go to another church and arrest more Christians when he has a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Remember, Jesus is no longer on the earth. He's, he's in heaven now. And yet Paul, in a, in a, there's a flash of light. You can read all about this in Acts. He sees Jesus. And Jesus is there before him. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's like, who are you? And he says, I'm God. Right? I'm Lord. I'm the one that you're persecuting. And in that moment, Paul realizes, okay, Jesus really is the Messiah. I've been wrong. I've been living the wrong way, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to follow Jesus now. And this is so incredible because Paul becomes the person that, that writes about two-thirds of our New Testament. So our Bible that we read, most of our theology about Jesus, it comes from Paul. Most of our ecclesiology about the church, what the church is, what the church should be, it all comes from Paul. So he becomes this incredible apostle, and he goes around, and he's discipling people. He's leading people. He's preaching the gospel, and he's planting churches everywhere. So that is who Timothy is. Timothy is one of the guys that Paul is really mentoring and discipling. And Timothy ends up planting a church in Ephesus, or maybe he took over the church. I'm not sure what. Sorry about that. Okay. So, so he's writing to Timothy, and that's what these books are. First Timothy, Second Timothy. They're both letters that, the, that Paul was writing to this young man. Now, Second Timothy is really interesting because we believe, scholars believe, this is the very last book we have that Paul wrote. So this is the last thing that he wrote. Now, Paul, he was imprisoned a couple of times. Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys can say, yeah, I've been imprisoned a couple times, right? <laughs> No, don't raise your hand. I don't, I don't want to know, okay? You guys are like, Bethany, you don't raise your hand either. One, I, I went on a Bible study with a lady in the church who, who was doing Bible studies in um, the juvenile detention. I don't know what the correct word for that would be. Hopefully that's the correct word and not a bad word for it. But uh, in kids' class, the kids knew I had gone on these Bible studies with her. We went into the places and you would do Bible studies with some of the teenagers and um, the, that were incarcerated. And so the kids knew that. Well, then in, in kids' church one week, uh, I guess one of the teachers was talking about juvie. And my oldest daughter raised her hand and said, my mom's been to juvie. <laughs> and the teacher was like, I need to know a lot more. <laughs> I'm going to know a lot more about what you're saying right now. I need a lot more details. But um, he's been incarcerated a couple times. The first time that he is in jail, it's actually a little bit more like a house arrest. And it's not, it's not horrible, right? I'm not going to say ever being imprisoned is not horrible. But this, it's not so horrible. But the second time that he's in prison, it's gotten really bad. And even the atmosphere around him, he's in Rome at this point. The atmosphere around him is really becoming very anti-Christian. The emperor Nero is over. He's the emperor of Rome. He's the emperor of the era. And he actually, if you study him, he actually believes 
be begins to go insane. He begins to lose his mind. But all of these bad things are happening in his city. At one point, half the city burned to the ground. And so, you know, people are mad at him, but he just keeps deflecting and blaming it on the Christians. The Christians caused the fire. The Christians did this. And so the atmosphere where Paul is at is getting worse and worse and worse. It's getting more and more dangerous. And at this point, when Paul is writing 2 Timothy, he knows, hey, the end is near for me. I'm not going to be allowed to live much longer. I'm probably going to be killed soon. And so that's really what he's writing when he's writing to, to Timothy. He's really saying his last words, his last things that he wants to, to give to his son in the Lord, right? His last words that he wants to, to say to him, hey, if there's one last thing I could tell you, what would it be? And today I want you to think about that. If, the, if, you, if you knew your time was near, what was the last things that you would want the people around you to know? One time, uh, I was, we were, Jake dropped me off at the grocery store. I don't know if anybody else does this. And I was just going to run inside and grab something real quick. And as I, as I came back and he was picking me up, you know, at the entrance or whatever, um, we got in the car and I said, Jake, I need you to know something. So, you know, he looks at me like something's happened. And I said, if I ever die, I need you to know this. And so he's looking at me and I said, listen, because I was buying a can of coconut milk. I said, listen, we, if, if I die and you need to buy canned coconut milk, go to the Hispanic section of the grocery store. It's like a dollar cheaper than anywhere else. I told him, I don't know why, but don't, don't buy the expensive canned coconut milk. It's the same thing, right? And he's looking at me like, why, why did I marry her, right? Oh, no, I'm just teasing. But what are those things? I always tell him, hey, if you died suddenly, I don't know the passwords to anything. The kids would be like, can you get me Netflix? No, that's gone now, sorry. I can't. I can't get you into anything. I don't know the passwords to anything. But what, what are the last things that you would want to tell someone? That's what we're seeing in 2 Timothy. The very last things. Paul, he's seeing, hey, the end is here. What are the last things, the most important things that I want you to know? So I really encourage you this week, read through those four chapters and really dive into what Paul is saying. Now, in, in classic Bethany style, I'm going to start at the end of the book. Okay, we're going to go right for the spoiler, okay? And I'm sure once Jake preaches, he'll start at the beginning. But for me, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and we're going to flip to the end. Make sure that it's, it's worth reading or not. But in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, this is Paul, right? These are his last words. He's saying, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Do your best, he's saying this to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Dalmatia was where 101 Dalmatians was actually filmed. That's it. <laughs> It's a tidbit for you right there. I love this passage. Paul is saying something that, that I pray, I hope, that I can say whenever the end of my life, wherever that time is, that I would be able to say these words. They're so beautiful. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be just a Christian who really loves Jesus for six months. I don't want to be a Christian who really loves the Lord and comes to church for three years. 
I want to be a Christian at the, end of my, at the end of my life. I can say, I kept the faith, God. I kept the faith, Lord. I remember the first time when we were going to hire some staff at, at Joy Church, right? And we sat down with them and we were telling them the most important thing you can do with your life is to have your relationship with God. And we were telling them we don't care if you, if, if, if the worst thing to us would be that if you were the most amazing staff person for two years and then you weren't a Christian the rest of your life. We were saying that would mean we failed miserably. So that's why we have 20% staff. No, I'm just teasing. No, we were saying give it, give it your all, but the first and foremost, you have to love Jesus. Right? At the end of your life, that's what matters. Have you kept the faith? And then what I really was focusing on this week when I was reading, it was really standing out to me that we have Paul, right? And he's saying these beautiful words. I'm at the end. I fought the fight and I've kept the faith. And then he references Demas. Demas in uh, verse 10. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. And this is a picture for every single one of us. God, I want to be like Paul. I don't want to be like Demas. And I love what it's specifying here. He was in love with the present world. And this is really the fight for every single one of us. That, Lord, that I would love you more than I love this world that you put me in. And I think for every single one of us, there's something about this world that tempts us. Maybe for you, it's, it's the pursuit of money. Maybe for you, it's the pursuit of a career. It's climbing up that corporate uh, totem pole. Maybe for you, it's having that perfect family, having that Pinterest-worthy life, right? Whatever it is for you that you know you're drawn to in this world. And our whole job as Christians, as we're pursuing after Jesus, is we would say, I don't love this world more than I love Jesus. I don't love this world more than I love him. And that's how we get to that long life that says, God, I'm going to keep the faith. So today I want to just really quickly, how can I finish strong? How can I finish strong? If you guys want to flip over to Philippians, this is also the words of Paul. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. And here I think he's just giving some words, some advice to the to the church in Philippa, right? And he's saying these things, and to me it's really a way for every single one of us to be able to finish strong. I'm gonna read seven verses here. This is Paul again. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I have four, four ways. How do I keep the faith? Number one, count all else as loss. Number, count all else as loss. In verse 7, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. You see, in this world, we have to understand that Christ, Jesus, knowing him, getting to know him is the greatest privilege of our lives. And all else in this world, everything else that the world has to offer is loss compared to getting to know our Savior, compared to getting to know the, the creator of the universe, that you were created for this relationship that you were literally created for a relationship with God and everything else you could have in this life is loss compared to it. Paul even says it's rubbish, rubbish compared to being able to know him. I shared this story in, in first service and, and Jake was nervous about it, so I'm gonna share it in second service. <laughs> but when I was a, an older teenager, you know, and I loved, I loved the Lord, maybe I was a young adult, I don't know, what are the, the lines are blended, right? In those times, those ages matter and now mm, they seem far away. But I really loved the Lord, and I remember I would tell God, God, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. It's me and you, Lord, I just wanna know you. You can have my life, you can have my future. And to me, that seemed like a big deal, right? And I'm not saying it isn't a big deal, but it felt like a big deal. But the truth is, it was kind of easy because I didn't have anything. It's easy to say I'll give it all because I got nothing to give, right? It was easy to say you can have whatever because I had nothing to give the Lord. But I remember after Jake and I got married, we'd been married for a couple years, and I just felt like God reminded me of that prayer. I was praying one day in our house, and I felt like God reminded me, remember when you said you would give it all. Well, what if I took away your love? What if I took away Jake, right? This is where Jake was like, can you not share that? Why does, why does my life have to be dependent on your faith in the Lord, <laughs> right? But he was just asking, what if, what if you took this away? Your heart has expanded, your life has grown, you're building a life. You have dreams. What if I take it all away? Is it still me? I said, God, it's still me and you. God, you can still have it all. God, I would still have faith in you. And then, you know, life goes on. And pretty soon we had uh, Evelyn, and then we had Jack, and then we had Penny, Penelope. We have three kids, and our life has just grown and grown and grown, right? Our debt has grown. And oh, I'm just teasing. <laughs> You're always like, amen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? But life is getting bigger, your heart is expanding. You're getting more and more rooted to this world, getting more and more rooted to this life. You know, I heard, there's a great quote I always think about that when you become a parent or when you raise kids, it's like your heart is walking on the outside of you now. And that's exactly how it is. You know, you're screaming at your kids to not get hit by a car in the road because also that's part of your heart. <laughs> your heart can't stand it anymore. But so many things were seeping into being connected to this world and loving this world. And I remember holding Penny, our newborn, in a church service. It was during worship. And I felt like God asked me again, if I took all this away, would it still be me and you? And I had to check my heart and check my affections. Say, God, even if I lost everything that's tying me here, it's still me and you. I still have faith in you. Why I'm counting all else as loss. It doesn't mean that you don't, don't dream big for these, these beautiful families. It doesn't mean that you don't love people well, but it's because of your love for the Lord first that you can dream so big, that you can love so well, right? My marriage to Jake isn't dependent on, on me making sure that he is faithful. It's not dependent on me controlling him. It's not dependent on me trying to change him. My marriage to him actually really doesn't have too much to do with him. It has to do with me loving Jesus, first and foremost. It has to do with me putting my roots down in the Lord and letting him change me. 
And hopefully he's not trying to change me, right? He says, I tried once. I gave up. No, I can have faith in him because I know he has faith in the Lord, first and foremost. And that is what a Christian marriage is built on, that we can say our vows and know, hey, I'm vowing to you and I'm vowing in front of the Lord. And to him, I believe everything. We recently, one of our kids had a question. They were just saying like, how, how if, if someone doesn't have faith in God, if they're not a Christian, then, then what do the vows really mean? And Jake was driving. He was, that's a really deep question you're asking. Well, they're dependent on love. They're dependent on, but really a Christian marriage is saying in front of Jesus, who I've given my whole life to who I count all, all, everything else as lost compared to him. I'm vowing to you. What are you doing in your life? Do you count it all else as lost compared to knowing Jesus? Number two, be found in him. Be found in him. In verse nine, Paul says, I'm going to go a little bit into verse eight. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Where are you found? Where can we find you? You know, yesterday we had a really busy day and we, I was going to take one of the kids, well, all the kids to a birthday party later in the day, but there was a lot of things happening and so I had to go earlier in the morning and go get a present for the birthday, you know, for the birthday party. And so I told Jake, I said, hey, I'm going to take Penny, we're going to run and get a present for the person real quick this morning. And then when we were driving home um, from the store, I called Jake to talk to him about something and he goes, oh, I forgot you were gone. I just, I just thought you were in your garden. Right? And, and I told him I was gone, you know, but he was like, I just figured you were in your garden. Why? It's easy to find me. It's easy to find me. It's way easier to find him. It's way easier. He's always in his chair. <laughs> his favorite chair. I'm like, don't you get sick of that chair? I got to get up and move. But it's easy to find us. But where are you found? Where are you found? I want to be like Paul and say, I'm found in him. I'm found in him. That maybe there's chaos and there's wars around me and everyone says you should be found in fear. And I say, no, I'm found in Jesus. I have no fear because I'm found in Jesus. Oh man, the, the world is in crisis. We're going into a recession. The dollar's not gonna be worth anything. So aren't you panicked? Don't you just have so much anxiety? Absolutely not because I'm found in Jesus. I'm found in him. Don't you worry about your family. Don't you have all these problems. No, I'm found in Jesus. I'm found in him. If you're looking for me, you'll find me with him. You'll find me with him. That's the second way. God, I have to be found in Jesus. I have to be found in him. When people talk to you, do they just find bitterness? Do they just find anger? Do they just find rage? Do they just find unforgiveness? Do they just find panic? Do they just find depression? Or when they talk to you, do they say, there's something different about you? There's something different about you. Why? I'm found in him. I'm found in Jesus. I'm secure in him. Number three, you have to let go of your past. You have to let go of your past. In verse 13, Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. I, I imagine that Paul, here he has persecuted the Christian church so much, actively thrown people into prison, and yet now he's this apostle who's going around and he's ministering to these churches. Can you imagine the person who gets up to speak on a Sunday is the same person why your brother-in-law is in jail, why your dad is in jail, why your son is in jail? How would Paul be able to face that? And so many of us, we're stuck in the past. We're stuck with what has gone on before. We're stuck in regret. We're stuck in shame. We're stuck in the ways that we wish we had lived our lives differently. But the truth is we will never grow in the Lord until we forget what lies behind, until we let it go. A person cannot move ahead if their thoughts and vision are focused on the past. A person cannot move ahead if their thoughts and vision are focused on the past. And maybe for you, it's the, you know, the things that you've done wrong. You can't, you can't forgive yourself. You can't let it go. God is telling you today, let it go. Move on. Maybe for you, it's the pain that has been done to you in your life. The pain others have done to you in your life. And by letting go, you're not saying that that didn't happen. You're not saying that they're off the hook. But you're saying, God, I'm giving that pain to you. I'm leaving it in the past knowing that you are the only righteous judge. That justice is in your hands alone. And I'm letting it go. The Bible actually says if you won't forgive, he won't forgive you. So we actually have a mandate to forgive, to let go of our past and move on. Move on to what God has ahead of you. Because what he has ahead of you is incredible. But you have to let go of what was behind you in order to get there. Number four, look ahead to the prize. Look ahead to the prize. We count all else as loss. We need to be found in him. Let go of your past and look ahead to the prize. In verse 14, he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Every single one of us has an upward call of God on your life. And it's a prize. It's a present to you that he has something so good ahead of you, that he's called you to greater things. I think one of the most um, terrible negative things that have happened to us for emotions and for, and for our own mental health is this idea of evolution. And I'm not here trying to disprove evolution, but what I'm saying is that when a whole entire culture, a whole entire people believe that you're an accident, believe that there's no purpose to your life, believe that you weren't made for a reason, then no wonder we're sad. No wonder we're depressed. No wonder people keep killing themselves. No wonder people keep killing others. No wonder people try to drown themselves into addiction. Because it's exact opposite of what God says. He says, before you were even in your mother's womb, I formed you. Before you were even in your mother's womb, I made you. I created you. You were created on purpose. And there's purpose in your life. I have purpose for you. And what Paul is saying here is it's a gift. The upward call that I'm calling you to is a gift for your life. Are you going to go grab it? Are you going to go live it? Do you want all that God has for you? I do. I don't want to get to the end of my life and people just be like, Where, whatever happened to that lady? She loved God and then she disappeared. I want to get to the end of my life and say, Jesus, I didn't do it all right. But I fought the good fight. And I kept the faith. 
I kept my faith in you. And maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know him. You're talking about Jesus. You're talking about this upward call. You're talking about this relationship with the creator of the world and I don't know him. You're saying that he's in this room. You're saying that I can experience his presence, but I don't even know who he is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the Bible says that we, we don't have life without him. That we put our faith and our hope and our trust. We say, Jesus, it's you alone. You alone can save me. You alone can give me a fresh start. If everyone would just bow your head and close your eyes. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, would you just lift up your hand if you want to know him? If you say, today I want to make a change. I want to know this God that you're talking about. Would you just lift up your hand for me? No one's looking around. We're not trying to embarrass you. It's just a way for you to say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. Thank you. Anybody else in this room? Thank God, I want to put my faith and my trust in you today. So the Bible says that every single one of us had done wrong. I know I've done wrong. And we created this chasm between God who wanted to have a relationship with us and, and, and the way that that chasm was, was abridged was through the life of Jesus, through the death of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus. And when we put our faith and our trust in him and in him alone, God says, I'll save you. Come and join in this adventure of a life that I have for you. So right now we're going to say a prayer. If everyone in the room will just say it with me. This isn't a magic prayer. It's just a way for you to vocalize that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus. If you'll just repeat after me, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving me life. God, I, I know I've done wrong. And God, I just pray that you will forgive me. Would you take my life? Would you help me be more like you? God, I put my faith in you. I know that you, Jesus, are the son of God. And I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For every single one of us, I know this is, you know, Bethany, I feel like I have to bring a downer, sorry. But I want to get to the end of my life more like Paul than Demas. I want to get to the end of my life just saying, God, I kept the faith. I did what I could. And how one of the ways that I'm going to do that, count all else as loss for the sake of knowing him. Be found in him every single day. Maybe you say, I don't know how to do that. Every day, wake up and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Help me be more like you. I give you today. Help me live for you today. Number three, let go of your past. Let it go. And number four, look ahead to the prize. If you made that decision today to follow Jesus, there's a yellow card in the seat in front of you. If you take out that card right now and fill that out for us, we just want a little bit of information from you because someone will actually call you or text you this week and get in contact with you and help you know what your next steps are in following Jesus. As you can see, I believe this is the most important decision you can make with your whole life. And so we don't want to leave you alone in that. We want to come alongside you and help you know what your next steps are. So if you made that decision today, or maybe you made it a month ago or two months ago, but you've been too nervous, just do it. Be bold. Have some courage. Fill out that form. And someone's going to lovingly call you and help you. 
all right? In just a moment, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, and you can actually just stick that card right into the offering. I'm going to pray over the offering right now. Jesus, we just thank you for today, God. Thank you for the privilege to be able to gather in your house with your people. God, we love you. We love what you're doing inside of us, Lord. We love what you're doing in our neighborhoods. We love what you're doing in our community. And God, we just pray for more. We pray that you will use us to change Lane County, God. We thank you for every dollar that comes to Joy Church, Lord. I pray that you will increase our vision to see more of what you want us to do, God, the churches that you want us to plant, the people that you want us to reach, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.